You're listening to Church on the Path Inspiration Podcast. Brought to you by Holy Fire. And broadcasting from the heart of Brisbane City, Australia. Speaking today is Pastor Glenn Gerhauser. Today's message is entitled, The Seed, The Seed. And this is part two in this series we're doing, this mini-series on trust. So this is part two of trust, and the message is entitled, The Seed. I'm going to pray, and then I'll lead you in a prayer. Father, we want to thank you that your word teaches us your ways, and we want to know your ways more because through knowing your ways, we know you and we become like you. And I'm asking that's what you would do in our hearts and our lives now. This is an important time in our church, an important time as we uh, get ready and prepare for our next semester in Bible school and all that you're doing, Father, uh, in our lives We're asking that through our lives, your kingdom would advance and grow. And we give you the praise, glory, and the honor. Give me the words and the grace. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 All right. Put your hands on your hearts, please, and pray this with me. Harry, did we used to pray this back in the day? (laughs) Maybe Maybe he'll remember. Dear Jesus... Speak to my heart and change my life in your precious name. Amen. Amen. So this is entitled The Seed. And before I get into the message, we just have one week left. It's one week and one day till Bible school starts. This is entitled The Outpouring Unit. We begin the 7th of August. It's in the evening, begins 6.30 every evening. And Anna lovingly designed this card. And tomorrow I'm going to post a video where she talks very quickly, about one minute, about this design here and what it means. And in preparation, I've been translating the book of Colossians, the book of Philemon, uh, the book of Philippians, and right now I'm on the book of Ephesians. So, and I hope to bring all the treasures and riches of that, uh, that time in uh, the Word into this semester coming up. So you can register now at holyfireschool.com. And the school is for anyone hungry for God, even if you've been to Bible school before, even if you graduated R1 or another one. It's for those who are hungry for God and those who want to go on a journey and experience the outpouring of God's Spirit. So I could use your prayer. And there's cards over there. So I, here I got a little challenge, faith challenge. Take one or two cards and believe that somehow during the week you're going to bump into somebody that uh, might be interested in the Bible school and you can give the card to them. That 
And that's often happened to us. And uh, yeah, believe that God can use you to uh, do a mighty work uh, in someone's life. So just telling them about it. So thank you guys. Amen? Amen. Can you be praying for us? That would be wonderful. Today, so let's get into the message now. Today, we'll continue to develop the theme of trust, the theme of trust, and discover how God-given faith is like a seed. So we're going to discover how God-given faith is like a seed and talk about trust. And Anna and I are praising God for something. Tomorrow is actually our anniversary. So we celebrated this past week because we were... Tomorrow we're going to be gearing up for Bible school, getting prepared and everything. So we wanted to have a time of celebration before that. So we had one, uh, one day, 24 hours, one night in the Gold Coast. And before we left, we, tr- we entrusted the house to the kids, to Allison. She's the oldest. But Eva, Eva is often the one doing a lot of the work. Eva, she's 14, Allison's 19, and to Valerie. And I wrote a morning thought about that, but this is trust. When you give the house to the kids, you're trusting them. So we're trusting them, but we're also praying and trusting God. <laughs> we're saying, Lord, Father, <laughs> help them, protect them, let the house not be burnt down, you know, things like that, right? And so we're, gone, we're coming home from the Gold Coast, and Anna and I are talking, and we're thinking, what do you think is going to happen when we get in? And I said, oh, I, I predict that Valerie's going to be watching YouTube reels. <laughs> <laughs> and the house is going to be a wreck. Yeah, the house is going to be the re- a wreck. So we walk in, and it's exactly the opposite. It's exactly the opposite. They have everything, they have everything clean. They've cleaned the house. This is Eva and Valerie. Allison was out. Uh, Eva and Valerie cleaned the whole house. Immediately when we opened up the door, we were like, oh, <laughs> shot. TV was off, so there was no YouTube reel playing. And so we were super blessed by that, super blessed to not only have some time to spend together, Anna and I, uh, celebrating to about 24 years, but also coming home to a, a house that was at peace and shalom. No fighting. <laughs> you cleaned the house in two minutes, so they, <laughs> they worked quick. Good on you, Valerie. <laughs> so... Here's a man with some mustard seeds in his hand. And we remember what Jesus said in response to the apostles' uh, prayer to him. And so this is a Luke 17, 5 through 6. Luke 17, 5 through 6. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, You would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So I'll read that one again. 
the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Pistis, pistis. This is the noun for pistuo, which we just touched on briefly last week, that Greek word. So in the upcoming semester in Bible school, we'll be looking more, I think, at Greek words than Hebrew words. Actually, we'll combine the two together, finding the, the roots of the Greek words in the Hebrew. But this is one of the main words that we will cover in the beginning of the semester, uh, pistis. Uh, and it's increase our, it can be translated as inc increase our trust. Increase our trust. Um, the word is tr being trustworthy or trust or faith, and sometimes you have it translated as believe. So they're requesting, the apostles are requesting, Lord, increase our faith, our trust. And the Lord said, if you had faith, pistis again, pistis, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So what does this mean? What does this, uh, what is he talking about? Faith like a mustard seed. And it's a bit more than what we usually give it credit for. So we're going to explore this. Are you ready? Faith that is like a mustard seed is humble. Now, that, the whole context of that Luke chapter 17 all has to do with humility. And just before the apostles said it, it's the, it, it, Jesus was teaching about how if a brother sins against you and says, please forgive me and repents, you forgive them and you keep on forgiving, forgiving them. Even if they do it seven times a day, you forgive them over and over and over. So forgiveness requires humility. So that was what just came before that part that we just read about faith like a mustard seed. I'll just, I'll just turn over there. Many of us are familiar with that part. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. So there's a, a great requirement of humility to do that. And then after that, there's a whole parable. So then we have Jesus saying, if you have faith, this, uh, like a mustard seed. Now, often you'll see as small as a mustard seed, but in the original, it's, it's like or as a mustard seed. Smallness has to do with uh, something of what Jesus is saying, but there's a, there's a lot more. It has to do with this being as a mustard seed. And then right after there, we see another, uh, another parable about humility. Suppose one of... You has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? 
So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. So here, Jesus is referring to humility again. So this whole, this whole call to, be, to have faith as a mustard seed is encased in humility. So faith that is like a mustard seed is humble. It says things like what Anna was praying this morning in the car. Lord, I can't do this without you. I need you. I need your power. I need your grace. I can't, even though she's led worship for these 24 years, I need you to minister. It's this dependence. It's needing God. It's this dependency on God. Faith that is like a mustard seed is humble. Our father is the gardener. And we have Jesus saying that in John 15, 1. Our father is the gardener, and we place ourselves in his hand. That's trust. So we are like a seed. Our own lives, our lives are like a seed. And trust or faith is placing ourselves in his hands. That's what trust is. We are placing ourselves in his hands. We are giving the smallness and the littleness and the uselessness without him to do his work. We're giving that over to him. So we all have abilities, but we have no ability to do his work in our own strength. Remember that verse that we read last week? Cursed is the man who puts his trust in man. Cursed is the one who puts his trust in man. And uh, we see that, that, but blessed, blessed is the one who puts their trust in the Lord. I'd like to look at that again. And Jeremiah 17, interestingly, in the whole Bible, I just flipped straight open to it. I have no markers. I, I have no preparation to do this, but it's in my heart to repeat it. And I flipped right open to it. That's always good because Jeremiah is a big book and you're flipping around and so that's how God helps us at times. Uh, here we have Jeremiah 17, 5. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. So here we see a barren, desolate image of someone who puts his trust in man and our own strength, our own flesh, our own abilities and accomplishments, and even background. Jeremiah 17, 7 contrasts that with this. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. So here we have a picture of 
greenery, of prosperity, of fruit, of that seed blossoming, of that seed growing, of it becoming like a tree, sending out its roots by the stream. So our father is the gardener and we place ourselves in his hands. That's trust. Trust gives. And just like we gave over the house to the kids because we trusted them, trust gives. And I gave over the keys to the church, well, the school, to Lena before we left because I trust Lena. (laughs) (laughs) And we gave the church into the, the hands of Peter and Tina because I trust Peter and Tina as well as to all of you, because I trust you. So trust gives. And when we trust the Father, we give ourselves, our hearts, we give uh, our lives into his hands. You seeing what this is? And this is not just for salvation. This is an everyday thing and a moment-by-moment thing that we constantly are giving ourselves, trusting him. Trust gives. The Father plants us into the soil of Christ. We are like a seed, and the Father plants us into the soil of Christ. Then he covers us with dirt, the dust of our origins, and it seems we're lost. Uh, we're looking at God's ways here, and some of, this, some of this is quite mysterious and also confuses us, but we have to understand what he's doing. So if you go to Genesis 2-7, and this is something, this is a verse we've been to often, but Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. When he is planting us into Christ, the, the soil of Christ, who becomes the ground, when he's planting us, he's planting us into our, our, a place of origin. We see here, then the Lord God formed a man or formed the man from the dust of the ground. So when God originally created man, he created him from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Without that breath, he would be nothing. And the man became a living being. But notice we are coming from the dust of the ground. And when God saves a man, he brings that man again back to the dust. He brings that woman back to the dust. And many times in our walk, he brings us back into the dust. Back into that soil, the soil of Christ. So there's two aspects of God's work in us. One is that we are the seed and... He takes us and he places us into the soil of Christ. That's the best soil. The other aspect is that God's word is like its seed and he places it into us. He places it into us. Both are very important. Uh, It's two different perspectives of the same work of God, us being in him and him being in us, which we'll talk about more in this uh, this semester.
But the father, here it is, the father plants us into the soil of Christ. Then he covers us with dirt, the dust of our origins, and it seems like we're lost. Now, of course, this should trigger into our minds what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 24. So to the natural eye, the seed looks lost. Unless you're the one who sowed the seed, then you know where that seed is. But no one else can see that seed. It is hidden in the ground. Right? Luke 9, 24. What did Jesus say? We'll start in verse 23. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. That's one of the, one of the things that Luke brings out daily. And then it goes on to say, for, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. And what I'm talking about is as we put ourselves into the Father's hands, we are losing our lives. And then he is taking us and we're losing our lives in Christ. He's putting us into Christ so that we are hidden in Christ and we're in that soil but at first, what it seems like is everything is dark and dreary. And we don't understand what is happening as we are put into Christ. Well, there's a joy, of course, being in Christ. But then we're wondering, oh, we're expecting a lot more to happen. What's happening is that we are being, yeah, we're dying. Yes, we are dying to self. Now, if you think about the seed, the only way the seed can bring forth new life and bring forth a harvest, as we know, is it needs to die. It goes through this process of decay. And how that, how that happens is all the pressure of the soil and all the pressure of the elements on the seed crush it, break it. And through that crushing, through that breaking, through that decaying process, then it starts to grow roots roots and then it starts to spring up but it has to go through that process out of this place of hiddenness and darkness new life springs but here's the difference between that new life and our old life it's a new life that's rooted in him rather than ourselves it's a new life that's rooted in trust. It's rooted in Christ, trusting God. It's a new life rooted in this God-given faith. So out of this place of hiddenness and darkness, new life springs. It's a new life that's rooted in Him rather than ourselves. Now, naturally, we try to do life out of ourselves out of our flesh, out of our own strength. And you may think, oh, no, I've been saved 30 years. I've been saved 20 years. But we all have that tendency to lean on our flesh. But trust, what is trust? It's leaning on God. And it's giving ourselves, it's relying on him, and it's giving ourselves over to him. And it's got to be done daily. Mm -hmm. 
It's got to be done daily. And this is why you see all these, oh, look, that church looks so big. It looks so glamorous. It looks so glorious. They were doing great things. And then all of a sudden you find out some scandal. Where does the scandal come up? It pops up when someone is not living the life daily. They're not trusting God daily. In the face of temptation, we're not trusting God daily. We're not putting ourselves in his hand. We're trying to do it ourselves, and we can't. And so we start to wither away. Through the work of the ultimate gardener, that's the heavenly father. But we have a couple of good gardeners in our church, right? Fran. <laughs> and, yes. Any other gardeners? Your dad's a great one. Amen. Quarter of an acre, huh? Yeah. One Because she's old. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> now, who's the ultimate gardener? Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Well, the Heavenly Father, Jesus also, because the Father and Jesus are one. So both answers are right. And through the work of the ultimate gardener, we're now in his name. So here we see the Father is taking us like a seed. He is planting us in Christ, and now we are in his name. So what does it mean to be in his name? It means to be in his personality, his character and nature. That is now the soil, the ground that we're living from. That is our source. That's where we're living from. We read last week, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it, and they are safe. The name of the Lord. What's that? It's, it's his personality. It's his character, his nature. That's a strong tower, and we need to run into it, and this is what God is doing. He always wants us to be in Christ. His heart, suffering, death, and resurrection become one with us since we are planted in his Son. So the Father wants us to have his heart. And part of his heart is suffering uh, for this world and for one another, the suffering that he experiences. So there's two different types of suffering. There's our suffering, and then there's his suffering. And usually, we, I find that we're concerned a lot about our suffering. But what about his suffering? And what is he suffering about? And when we become one with him and closer to him, we begin to experience the, the heartache, the pain that is in his heart. And so knowing the Father's heart is not just knowing all sweet things, there's also the bitter. And before we left, we had this great message from Vanessa and Lena and from others. Um, and one of it had, one of the themes was there's the, the sweetness of God's word and there's the bitterness. Well, the sweetness always outweighs the bitterness, but there is a bitterness. And the bitterness has to do with like what we were talking before, the brokenness, the pain, entering into his suffering, experience his suffering, that death. 
and then that, that sweetness of resurrection life. His heart, suffering, death, and resurrection become one with us since we are planted in His Son. In this way, we are His children reflecting His nature. So it needs to be experienced. We are His children reflecting His nature. But unless we become like that seed, we never become like the tree of life that is Jesus. Here's a, a mustard plant. This one hasn't... There's all different types of, of, of them. And, of course, this one is quite uh, bushy. But you can see how it could take over a garden. We need to trust God during this whole process, relying on Him through every cycle of seasons He walks us through. It begins at salvation, but it also continues throughout our lives. Death, burial, and ultimately resurrection are constantly at work within us. So this is what I found to be difficult, is that you think, I've already gone through the death stuff. I've already gone through the brokenness. Wasn't that 2007? <laughs> Wasn't that like in, in 2001 or that? And the thing is, we constantly, as Believers on this earth will go through cycles. And these cycles relate to our seasons. You have the, the fall or the autumn. We call it fall in America because everything's falling down, right? <laughs> uh, we have autumn and the winter and spring and summer. And we go through this and we think, okay, you know, I've already been through that. And then we go through it again. Mm -hmm. yeah. And there's some, some things that, over the last few years that we've been going through as a church, also as a family, and I'm thinking, I thought that was over with. <laughs> but we go through it again, and what the Lord is doing is he's deepening his work in our lives. And he's bringing us all through these cycles. And... During these cycles, we need to trust God. In every season, we need to trust God, relying on Him. In every cycle and, and season. So there's seasons of great tears. Those who sow in tears, you know that? Those who sow in tears, they will reap with abundant joy, right? There are these seasons, so we go through these seasons individually, we go through seasons corporately as a community. It begins, this, this whole process begins at salvation, but it continues throughout our lives. Death, burial, and ultimately resurrection are constantly at work within us. So 2 Corinthians, and it, it blurred out where the verse is, so let me find it quickly. Um, 2 Corinthians, am I going to be able to find it? It's where Paul says, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Well, there's a, something interesting here even, even before that. And 
2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure. And this is what the ground exerts on us, the dust exerts on us, in order that we would experience the humility of Christ. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. So far beyond our ability to endure. So that we despaired of life itself. Have you ever been there? As believers, we are not immune to these things. If the greatest apostles were not immune to these things, we are not uh, immune to them either. And then, but here we see what God is doing in this, verse 9. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. In other words, it's a whole lesson in trust. Because relying on God is trusting God. Leaning not on our own understanding. That we would not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Amen. Here's his resurrection life that we need every day. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril. So he has delivered, delivered us and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. So you see the past working of God and the ongoing working of God and the future working of God that he is our deliverer. He is our savior. He's going to continually cause us to experience his resurrection life. And then he goes on to say, as you help us by your prayers. So some of this deliverance or, or all this deliverance happens as we pray for one another. So we can't just say, oh, it's just going to happen. Let's not pray. We pray for one another. And God has chosen that way so that we enter into his heart even more. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Well, there's more that you could bring out. Oh, yeah, here it is. I found it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11. Well, verse 10. We'll start in verse 10. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. In other words, through that, all that death he was experiencing and brokenness and crushing, it produced Life. And they say about artists, a good artist goes through a lot of troubles. <laughs> That's the inspiration behind the art, is all the suffering and the pain. You'll see that with the Psalms. And you see this with the apostles. They are going through this pain, but life is being produced through that. And so it should take away, our, even though we tend to get fearful, it should take away our fear that our suffering is not the end. And here's the latest infographic, and this is a bit of a summary of what we've been talking about. The seed. 
So you'll be able to download this at the Inspiration Fire online store, brisbanefire.com. You, you go to brisbanefire.com, you go to the Inspiration Fire store there, and it's for free for the next week. Uh, you'll be able to download it, and you get two files. You get a PNG file, which is good for digital, your, your phone or computer. Uh, or tablet, you get that, and then you also get a PDF file that if you want to print it, that's, you can print it from the P PNG file, but the PDF is the best for printing. So you get two files, so you download it, you get a folder, in that folder is two files, and then you can use that. So let me talk about the seed, some more zoom in here. Luke 13, 18 through 19. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. So here, Jesus is describing the kingdom of God. And one of the things we learned is when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, he's talking about himself. So he is that mustard seed. And the father planted him into the garden of this earth and he has become like a tree now and birds come and find refuge in him. But then also, because we are in Christ, we are to become like this tree. Our church is called to be like this tree and I hope you're finding refuge as the birds are chirping. <laughs> chirping right now. One, one, one Sunday before I left, we had... Uh, Anna playing, and a bird came here. It was doing like a dance and singing. It was <laughs> really fascinating. So the seed. The seed is, let's talk about the seed from where this tree comes from. The seed is small and simple. That's the S. The seed is God's secret weapon. The seed is God's secret weapon. And when you're feeling like the seed, God is making you into his secret weapon. The seed is God's secret weapon. It's unassuming and overlooked. It can be trampled on. It could be, if it's not taken care of, a bird can come and just eat it. It's, it's, the seed is unassuming and overlooked, yet able to break through concrete because of the power residing within. Now, when we were away... I saw this pot. It was a concrete pot. And there was a bush inside the pot. And it must have been in there for so long because all the roots of the bush were breaking out of the concrete of the pot. I mean, the concrete was really thick and the roots were breaking through the concrete everywhere in that pot, that, that concrete pot. And you can look it up on Google. Um, Seeds have the power to break through concrete. They can be a bit of a, a men the roots can be a bit of a menace too, also breaking through footpaths. But that's the power of a seed. It's so small, it's so, you would say, vulnerable, it's so little. And yet, what power relies, you know, what power resides in the seed? I mean, what power is in the atom? You're the atom, you can't even see it with your eye, and then you can develop this atom bomb, which we're not excited about, but the power is in the smallest things. 
that are broken. And when we are in God's hand broken, we become his secret weapon. I have a few verses here. Uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 30. Mark chapter 4, verse 30. Again, this is like what we read before, just in, in Mark. What shall we say? We've got a little bit of a... So what shall we say? The kingdom of God, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants. Now, technically, it's not the smallest of all seeds, uh, but it's one of the smallest. And uh, here Jesus is speaking poetically. And probably could be translated a little bit better there in the NIV. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Now, I want to look at someone else who is small, David, right? Go to, go to 1 Samuel 17. Now, it's been sad that the church has been more consumed with trying to be like Goliath than David. Over the last couple decades, even more, maybe a few decades, much of the church has had this mindset is we just need to get bigger. And the more bigger we get, the more powerful we are. And so let's grow bigger and bigger. And uh, we've had the whole mega church a phenomenon where if, if God is building the church, that's a good thing, but often it's man building the church. We want to see the growth of the church, of course. But we've been obsessed with trying to be like Goliath and be intimidating when God really wants us to be like David. David is all about the heart. And God is after our hearts. And we see with David, we don't have time to read this whole story, but 1 Samuel 17, 20, early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. So things that are large, things that are big, things that are overwhelming, they cause fear. And Goliath caused fear in the Israelites' hearts. And... Uh, Later, verse 26, David asked the men, what will be done? And he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? 
David, in his faith, he's thought of as conceited by his older brother. Verse 28, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are. So his faith is being seen as proud, boastful, conceited. And this can happen in our own lives too from our own family. They may not understand what God is doing in our hearts because it's a, his seed is in us, but they may not understand it. And so they may uh, look down upon us. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. You came to be entertained. Now, what have I done, said David? Can I even speak? <laughs> All righty. He then turned away to someone else. And then David says, let no one, verse 32, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul told him he wasn't able to because he was only a youth. But David told Saul the whole track record of how he killed a lion and a bear in order to rescue the flock that he was taking care of. And then I want to go to verse 36. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me. Now notice the same type of language that Paul was using about being delivered. The Lord who delivered me will continue to deliver me. This is the same type of language used here. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said, go and the Lord be with you. And that was faith. Even though he was small in stature, he had that faith. And then, verse 45, David, we know that Goliath taunts him. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Notice that. I come against you in the name. We say, in the name of the Lord, in the character and the nature of the Lord, in whose, uh, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. So he's the captain, he's the general, he's the, he's the Lord of the armies, and you've defied him. And then he goes on to say, and notice how this is very present. He says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. He's speaking in faith. He's seeing it happen even before it happens. This very day I will give you, give the caucuses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know. But there's a purpose. It's not for himself. It's for the Lord, so that the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Now, let me mention something about that phrase, which we often get wrong, and I've mentioned it before, so it's not the first time you might have heard of it. The battle is the Lord's. So sometimes we think the battle is the Lord's. I sit back and I do nothing. 
That is not what David is saying. Notice how he says just before that, I'll strike you down and cut off your head. So the battle is the Lord's, but David has to do the striking. The battle is the Lord's, but we have to do the standing. Of course, we do it all out of that rest, but we have to stand. We have to prepare through getting those small, smooth stones, which is like the word of God. The sling reminds me of prayer. The smooth stones reminds me of the smooth stones remind us of the word of God. So we have the sling and the smooth stones. And the sword that he takes from Goliath to chop off his head reminds us of our testimony. The very thing that the devil sought to do to kill us, God turns it around. It's our testimony. And through that, we chop off the head of Goliath, of the enemy. Yes, yes, the testimony that he would be king. Hallelujah. And David knew that. He had that seed in his heart of the word of God. Yes. Yep. Yes, he didn't take it before. He didn't try to kill Saul. He trusted it's a, whole, it's a whole lesson of trust. He trusted God. He trusted the right time. He trusted God when to uh, stand up. So we start off with the seed is small and simple, and the others we'll just go through quickly as a summary because we're coming to an end here. The E is embedded. The seed is embedded. The seed's power is unleashed when embedded. If you don't plant the seed into the soil, it's vulnerable. The birds can come and eat it. However, you'll discover the secret of its identity when you hide it in the right spot. Now, David was hidden before all of this. He was hidden in the fields with God. But God found him. And God raised him up. He didn't take the matter into his own hands, but he trusted the Lord. The Father is the gardener that plants you like a seed into Christ. In him you flourish. Our life is hidden with God in Christ. Colossians 3.3. 3. So the seed is embedded. Also the seed is encoded. God encodes every seed with DNA. The DNA instructs the seed on its identity, response to the environment, and purpose. So the DNA in the orange seed turns that seed into an orange tree, apple tree. Uh, for the apple seed, whatever the seed may be, the mustard seed into different mustard types of plants. Uh, this, the DNA is uh, encoded, or the DNA is the code. God's word is also like a seed within your heart. And this is why you got to keep on getting that word into you. It's like a seed within your heart. And the DNA is the DNA of Jesus himself. It's the DNA of the Son of God. And that DNA within you guides you to become like Jesus. I need to hear more of an amen there. That, that DNA guides you to become like Jesus. It speaks to you. It speaks to your heart. 
that DNA was in David, so that D David is like a uh, foreshadowing of the Messiah, but he had the DNA of the Word of God within him. This is why he could stand up to Goliath. The faith comes from the Word of God. It's the Word of God that imparts the faith, because faith is intrinsic to God's nature, who he is. The Father trusting in the Son and the Son trusting holy and holy the Father by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. The last thing, D here, the seed is destined to die to produce life. After the seed is lost in the ground, it undergoes the process of decay. This causes it to produce roots, life, and harvest. And we know what Jesus said. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So this falling is like what we do in prayer. We fall on our knees. We fall before God. We die to ourselves. We come to a place where I cannot do this. So whatever thing is going on in your life and you're trying to save it, you can save it, but God can. You fall on your knees. You can try to save it, but it's not going to be uh, God's work. And it's eventually going to wither and die. But if you say, God, you deliver, you save, you come into this, then it will bear much fruit. So here is that message of the seed. The seed is small and simple. The seed is embedded. The seed is encoded. The seed is destined to produce life. S-E-E-D. It's easy for us to be scared when we are small. And the size of our resources doesn't match the need. Remember Israel before Goliath. Fear can grip us when we are hidden, unseed, and unestimated. Uh, sorry, <laughs> underestimated. Fear can grip us when we are hidden, unseen, and underestimated. And notice how David is underestimated by his own family. He's put away and unseen, but God had that for a reason. It was like a seed. Losing yourself in God takes trust. It's in these times that we need to remember the seed. The seed of your life in the Father's hands will advance God's kingdom, causing the kingdom to take over like the mustard seed. Amen? And these are our last words before we pray. So losing yourself in God takes trust. And it's in these times that we need to remember the seed. The seed of your life in the Father's hands will advance God's kingdom, causing the kingdom to take over like a mustard seed. I hear an amen? Amen. 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 When we say amen, we're agreeing with God's word. We're saying yes. <laughs> we believe. We trust. So, Father, I want to thank you for that work that you're doing within us and that you have planted us in Jesus Christ. And there's no greater soil, there's no greater ground, there's no greater source than the soil of who you are. 
it's who you are. And many of us are going through this process of this crushing, this breaking, but we look forward to the resurrection life. And as, as a church, we've been through a lot of breaking and pain, but we're seeing now some life, some fresh fruit. We're seeing you at work, resurrection life. And that's what we're after, Father. We want resurrection life. And for everyone that is in pain and suffering, we're praying right now that you would bring a mighty deliverance and resurrection life would be imparted into that situation and that we would still trust in you, continue to put ourselves in your hand every day coming to you, placing ourselves into your hand, trusting that you are at work and you are good and your, your uh, kingdom endures forever and ever. Lord, we, I ask a blessing on this church to grow, to prosper, everyone here to bear much fruit for your glory. We pray for new souls to be saved, for there to be life that is produced through us, fruitfulness, and that we would be able to face our Goliaths with you, Lord, with you, Jesus. Amen.